What's going on guys? Kieran Eadley here from the Pocket Coach Podcast and I'm very pumped about this because you have no idea how crazy our meeting was and meeting this absolute lad, absolute legend, Jacob Adu uh, from Indiana. He's actually been living in, where have you been living again? Um, I've been traveling for a while yeah. now, but I'm usually between Chicago and Los Angeles. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, the cool thing is, is uh, what he does is a whole other um, amazing story, but how we met is it's crazy. I went on a solo trip um, to a waterfall, randomly just selected a waterfall on the map about an hour and a half away from Changu where I'm staying and um, I ran into this guy and we just happened to be going to the same co-working space an hour and a half away. <laughs> um, so we kind of vibed a little bit and Absolutely. we decided to connect and here we are. So it's a really beautiful thing and I'm really, I'm really excited to hear your story because I've heard a bit of it but I know there's a, a few more layers that kind of, um, I guess, transcend into your other areas of life. So I'm excited to hear how your current story has come into um, the other areas of life and how you've sort of um, overcome those and what you've learned from those pains. So um, yeah, I just got to say, dude, one thing specifically before we actually get really get into this is you inspired me when I heard your story. Um, you really did. I appreciate uh, that. It's the truth as well. It's not like I'm just saying this just for the podcast, but I'm genuinely saying this because when I went away from that dude, um, this girl I'm saying, I um, yeah, I actually uh, went up to her and said, wow, I feel really sad right now. Like, I'm not in a bad place, but I'm really sad. Like, I really felt what you had to say. Um, and it was really hit me, it resonated with me, and I could just feel that pain that you were, when you were talking about it. And it was like, the pain was so, it came, it came through me so beautifully. Like, I, it really connected, helped me connect to a lot of pains that I have, mm. like I said in that voice message to you. And it was really cool being able to bring that story um, through myself and really understand, wow, like, um, not only is this sort of um, this man so genuine and I've been able to make this amazing connection which is really beautiful but the fact that I was able to bring these pains back to the surface so I could start to work on those and become stronger me uh, I just have to say thank you uh, for that likewise yeah, man really. I, I, it was definitely uh, it's nice connecting with a kindred spirit someone who is very much on the same path and from our discussion however brief it was I got the feeling that you didn't let your pain or your hurt be something that prevents you from thriving and my pain and my scars are definitely something that have pushed me to the next level and I always use those as kind of coal right coal burns it burns dirty but in the end it gives you proper energy I love that man that's yeah that's cool I like that um, and you really do grow because at the end of the day we never um, pain never goes away until we learn from it so um, that's exactly um, yeah I, I completely resonate with that dude um, I, what I want to do actually before we kind of go into the nitty gritty stuff and the, the true truth of the stuff that you really talked to me about um, I want to learn a little bit more about you sure. and who you are so I want you to introduce little Jacob okay, okay. who was little Jacob yeah. um, what was he like growing up what was family like um, yeah just start from the start I suppose absolutely um, well I guess you can't really get into too much about yourself without giving a little background on your family yeah uh, my parents are first generation from Iran and Israel. They both traveled to the States during the revolution of Iran. So it was a very uh, tumultuous time filled with a lot of, um, a lot of confusion and, and a lot of not being sure whether they would be able to return. But my dad came and moved to Chicago uh, at about age 22, 23, actually a little bit younger. My mom came even younger than that at 14 and went to University of Tennessee. Um, 
somehow or another, they both wound up in Indiana, and that's where I came into existence. Um, and I was just a, a little foreign kid uh, in the cornfields of Indiana where they didn't understand me for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, the color of my skin. Um, and secondly, the fact that I'm Jewish. And so from the beginning of my life, I had to identify as something, as somebody that was different. And again, in the long run, that's turned me into the individual that I am today. I had to fight to define myself. Right. And so in that definition, I learned to stay strong and I learned to be confident. Uh, it wasn't always easy. No one's childhood is easy. You know, kids can be very mean. And through elementary school and junior high, I was very afflicted in that. I was very uh, ostracized. And so in that diversity or lack of diversity, I, again, had to create relationships that were founded in truth and trust. So a lot of my friends that I had as a child are some of my closest friends today. Um, and that's just because there was maybe four Jews in a very small area. And so that plus the fact that I'm dark, I'm, you know, a darker complected individual, we just, you know, the ones that didn't judge me for that, I, I became a very quick tell of a person. And, and slowly but surely, I created um, a group of friends that are blood to me now. And I was, I was not a, uh, I was not a uh, you know, right-angled child. I was very rambunctious. I had my, um, I had my innards with the law a couple times. Okay. Yeah, so I definitely um, liked to live a little bit on the edge. Yeah. Uh, but and, I was, and do you think this came from that feeling of um, this uniqueness that you had, but this need to be heard? I don't know exactly where it was. I just, I didn't do well in the normal structure, yeah. right? Like, I, I'm, I'm a very, I don't beat around the bush with my, who I am. I, I'm an intellectual person. Yeah. I, I'm smart. I'm, I'm very able to analyze situations and I have a very high level of empathy. So I can relate to people very easily. But that being said, I was never somebody who took very well to the normal structure of, how the educational system works. Right. So either my teachers loved me or they hated me. And I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners out there who can relate where, you know, you know your value and you know what you're capable of, but other people have a hard time seeing that. So from a very young age, I knew that either the regulatory figures in my life, either the teachers were going to relate to me or they were going to put me in a box as the clown, the class clown, the loud one, the troublemaker, right? right? So that was something that I really had to um, overcome. But again, I see all of those hurdles and all of those obstacles. I don't even see them as obstacles anymore. I see them as just opportunities to sharpen my tool shed. I love this. Right? Like you have to, you have to dive into those Mm. uh, situations and you have to dive into, and of course, as a kid, had, did I know that? No, I was miserable. I, I wasn't happy. The girls looked at me weird. Like, I never, you know, I didn't have my first kiss till I was, like, 16, 17. Like yeah, thing, so yeah. it was like, I, it was like I went through that awkward phase, but in the long run, like, it made me who I am today. And I had parents who were battling with this, like, major 
cultural difference, right? Like they came from Iran and Israel where everything was, I mean, primarily Iran where everything was like very structured and very like, this is how you act. This is how you don't act. Mm. This is what you do. This is how you court women. This is how uh, culturally it was engraved in them for hundreds of years from their generation after generation and passed down to my parents. So when they came to the United States, it was very hard for them to accept simple things like a cell phone mm. or accept simple things like a sleepover, okay. right? Or a girlfriend. You know, my older sister was not allowed to have boys, boyfriends. I mean, which is a normal thing, but it was a little bit more structured with her. I was, I had a very strict curfew. And so these were all things that I was sitting there as a kid like, okay, what the heck? You know, and, and forgive me if I cuss. Uh, oh, I, don't go for it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, wh- wh- where do I fit into this? Because I see all of my friends and all the freedom they have. And I see everybody kind of from the local area putting me in a box. And now my parents are telling me that I have to act a certain way. So everyone was telling me who I had to be. But none of it fit well with who I knew I was. Yeah. So again, that brought a lot of turmoil into my life, but in the end it resolved itself as what I define myself as, right? Yeah. And in those moments as well of turmoil and then those moments of people having a certain disbelief in you, did you start to feel a certain disbelief in yourself? Of course. In those cool. Uh, um, can you talk about that for a moment and talk about in those moments were there phases where you went through uh, dark patches um, of dif- disbelief in yourself or were there was it did you overcome them quickly how did you deal with them at the time well even if it wasn't like knowingly I have I don't know whether it is something that I got from my parents I don't know whether it was something that just is in my uh, behavioral code I, I've never doubted my success I've I've had moments where I didn't know where I was going to land. I have I I wasn't supposed to get into a good college. I wasn't uh, on on paper. I wasn't supposed to do well. I've been arrested four times. I sold drugs. I was I was I was not the ideal candidate for where I am today. And but through all of that, even through the moments where I was sitting in the drunk tank even through the moments where I was total, like almost kicked out of school, even through the, all of that, I never doubted the fact that I would be successful. Amazing. Now, how I landed where I am right now, I can only give that grace to the universe. I, I really, I, I knew where I would be. Why, like, like I, have, I have specific moments, mm-hmm. right, where I, I look back and I think about like times where I was just starting the business or even before that where I was in junior high and high school and people would be so worried for me. My mom, my dad, my counselor, my friends, they would like, I never had a drug problem. I never was, I was never drunk driving. I was never doing those things that like, whoa, red, red, major red flag, right? It was just minor things here and there. But there was never a moment where I let anyone else's doubt infringe on my confidence. I've had moments where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what? seriously, okay. Jacob, what so the fuck? The moments, yeah. Get a hold of yourself, right? And a lot of that is a matter of self-reflection. But 
I never really allowed doubt into my mind. I couldn't. I, and I still believe that today, that even that smallest seedling of doubt in yourself can blossom into the most dark tree and trees turn to forests and that will cover you for the rest of your life. So you have to, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be, I mean, the fact that I always strive to do better means that I'm never really happy with where I am. But that lack of the level I want to be at or achieving what I want to achieve is what drives me to achieve Mm. more, right? So again, while I never doubted myself, there were moments where I definitely had to say, you need to step it up and wash this, whatever it is off of you and move into the next phase of your life, right? So those happen for a variety of reasons. Cool. I actually want to point something out. So I, I think your will to continue on, your will to intuitively know that you're on the right path, even though there's so much disbelief in your life, is an absolute gift. Like you honestly are a freaking incredible dude to the, fa- the fact that Appreciate you've actually that. come across so many obstacles and even at a young age, you're right, it, it might have been the way your, your parents grew, like um, taught you growing up. Um, it might have been the structure that, um, by the fact that you're already facing a lot of uh, struggles when you first moved to the, I mean, you're in the States and you know, you're, you're a different color and um, only, there was a limited amount of Jewish people around you. So there's a lot of, I guess, there would have been natural conflict there um, in growing up. So you would have had to fight from a young age. So I suppose that would have definitely drilled you um, into the guy that you are today or even throughout those years uh, where you've been able to face those battles um, with so much will and power it's incredible dude don't get me wrong I had an amazing childhood okay like don't mistake the fact that I had internal struggle with the fact that I wasn't loved dearly by my parents right I had such an amazing support system I really had amazing teachers that's awesome Uh, comparatively yeah to what other people go through yeah I have lived a very, very blessed life. Amazing. But we have to understand that life is relative, right? So there's individuals who will go through certain struggles that lived a way better life than me, but their struggles are relative to them. For sure. And so we can't negate from what they learned, right? Mm -hmm. So while I had my internal conflict as a child, while I went through my own waves and my own conditioning and my own identification and my own struggles, these are things that everyone should be able to relate to on their own spectrum, on their own platform. Mm. I don't believe that anybody's struggle, a, a multimillionaire from a child or somebody that was raised in the slums, I don't believe that anybody's struggle is on a different level. Yeah. And this is where we can kind of come into mental illness and stuff. People think that if you're famous and super rich that you shouldn't hurt. Yeah. If, that if you're stunningly gorgeous or extremely beautiful that you for some reason shouldn't feel pain. Right? So these are things that like we have to make clear, right? Just because I was blessed and just because I was raised in a great place doesn't mean that I don't have my own issues. Sure. Right? So I just want to make that clear. I was taken care of from a kid. I was I was always loved. Thank you. And um, I'm a firm believer of that. I was, as well, <clears throat> come from a actually quite wealthy family in New Zealand um, where I was given a lot. Um, but even so, 
I know my own father went through his own struggles. Um, one th about one third of my uncles, aunties, cousins all go through own, their own struggles um, of anxiety or depression to a dark state, or to a dark phase rather, um, and with myself included. And I did make an excuse to myself saying, no, I shouldn't feel this, I'm blessed, you know, um, I have this amazing life. Why do I feel so sad? I don't deserve to feel sad. I don't deserve to feel these uh, down emotions or these, these strong emotions uh, of where I am currently because I'm really blessed and I should be grateful for this. So that was definitely um, a big factor for me because that was a big like battle in my Absolutely. mind. And I'm sure you probably had a, um, in a way similar experiences. 100%. So I'd actually love you to actually elaborate a little bit on that. And for you, where did those sort of experiences lie? Um, your, like your dark times with the mental health issues um, that came up over that period? I would say, you know, it starts with just puberty, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So we we don't really know who we are. Yeah. And everyone is trying to tell us who we should be. Yeah. And again, like I was told from I think age nine that I had ADD, attention deficit disorder. I was prescribed Adderall, which is a form of Ritalin. Um, it's essentially an it's, it is an amphetamine. It's an amphetamine salt. So they were cracking me out. From a young age, I used to slip that all underneath my tongue and spit it out. And my mom, again, is like, no fault of her own. This is what the doctor told her I should do. Right. Yeah. But never was there an opportunity for anyone to say, okay, yeah, your kid's going to be taking 35, 40 milligrams of Adderall for the rest of his life. So. I was always like, is there something wrong with me? Am I sitting at a lower level than everybody else because I have to take this pill every day? And that's really where I was embarrassed, right? Like that's where I was like, okay, there's got to be something wrong with me. Like I don't do well in school. I don't have the same outcome for my studies as other people. I despise reading, which has totally changed. All of this stuff has like made me filled with that doubt and I didn't really know what direction to head with that doubt because again everyone was telling me there's something wrong with me I don't know at one what point in life did I start saying I'm just not going to be a victim anymore and I'm not going to allow that to be something that deals with me but I've like when you live uh when you when you're such a passionate person and I'm extremely passionate like when I love something I fucking love it right it goes both ways so when you can get really high you can go very very low too especially when they have you on meth as a kid <laughs> like <laughs> right yeah, like when that's you, true you, yeah so here i am like i don't know why i feel so manic now i'm going through puberty now they have me on adderall now they're telling me i have adhd now they're telling me like i'm depressed and that i have more stuff going on with me now that my mom wants to put me in therapy and I first of all I'm a firm believer in therapy for anybody mm. a therapist has a therapist mm. you should have a therapist mm. if you feel the need go don't be shy about that stuff right like so again like that was something that no one ever put in front of me in the right way no one was ever like hey it's okay that you have to go see therapy like I just felt like it was wrong mm. so there was an educational void there that made me feel like maybe I was a dunce or maybe there was something wrong with me. So those were probably the first like things that I really had to overcome and, and the hurdles that I had to 
go through as a child. And then, you know, we all naturally progress into other things as we move into college um, and, and life starts to take hold of us a little bit more. Amazing. Okay, well, well thank you for sharing that, actually. Um, and even though you were told all these things growing up through college, or throughout, up to through to college, did you hold on to those identities that you were, well, specific ways of being or specific um, issues that you had as an identity as you went through college or went into college? Um, I, I think that like my senior year of high school, I was so, again, blessed with an amazing group of friends that I, I started to come into my own. I started to feel full and like, okay, I got this, I got this. And then college happened, <laughs> you know? So I, 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 go, I, I, I went to, like, I, I, I went to Indiana University, but I started off at a community college. And so, again, there's this like, why am I not good enough to make it into IU? Why, like, why do I have to be the one that does all this and is sitting in like a shitty community college? And again, that was like a little bit of a struggle, but in the end, when I made that transition into Ivy Tech, I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that was the perfect transition. That was exactly what I needed because I went from a 1.9 in high school to a 3.5 in Ivy Tech and Dean's List the next year. And then I was, I was sitting at like a three, seven, three, eight throughout my entire Indiana University career. So, so what's top marks in this area? 4.0. 4.0. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was a smooth transition. Like I, I needed it, right? Yeah. Like I needed it. But while I was at Abbey Tech, I, school became very easy for me. So I realized like, okay, I'm smart. I, I, all of that was affirmed. I realized, okay, I can, I can study. But then it was a little bit dangerous because I got my college wheels on and then I took advantage of the system, right? Like I had to study very minimally to get good grades. I had to be very uh, like nonchalant and everything kind of was easier for me, right? So that's when I started going to music festivals. <laughs> and that's kind of where my whole encounter with uh, counterculture started to take place where I would do certain things that were maybe not the smartest um, I would I would sell things that I shouldn't sell um, and I would go on tour for music festivals and that's where I fell in love with music and that's where I fell in love with people and every summer it was my friends and I following Fish. Do you know Fish, the band? No. So Fish is like a amazing jam band. Cool. Um, so we spent a couple summers in a van just tracking them down um, and that's really where I came into my entrepreneurial self, right? Cool. So I didn't have a job but I needed to make money. So Have you finished college by now? No, okay, no, no. So this, is, this is still while I'm in Ivy Tech. Yeah. So that's when I started to uh, design art on Photoshop and design pieces of art that I thought would sell well. I would print thousands of posters and we'd chop them before music festivals and me and my friends would go and we'd sell the posters on lot. We would go to the, the concert two, three hours before, 
and we'd sell these posters and these posters would pay our way across the country. And that was like where I started to see like, holy shit, like you don't have to do things the way everyone else does things. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. And especially in the setting of a music festival, right? Like you could, you can be whoever you want. So that was where I started to be like very calm. And that's where certain spiritual tones started to come to my life, right? You're at a music festival. So you're meeting people who are drug addicts. You're meeting people who are extremely spiritually versed. You're meeting people who are amazing musicians. You're meeting young people who spend their lives traveling. So you're getting these young individuals who have a high capacity for learning and living experienced lifestyles, right? Like when you're not doing the normal thing, you experience life at a different rate. And I've always said a music festival, I'm sure if any of you have been to one, you understand that it's like two months of life in three days. You meet people, you have deep conversations, like like you literally get this hyper sped up life in two or three days. So music festivals are where I started to find my new identity. And it was a catch-22, right? Like, I could make a lot of money. I could sell my art. I could sell um, my posters and make my way across the country. And so basically, that's what my life became was, let's just get the bare minimum of school done so we can go sell posters on a lot and we can travel the country. And that was kind of where I started to come into my own... um, Lifestyle, yeah, right, and that's where because I remember you talking to me about the um, was it a block? No, it was a, it was like a platform that you were using, right? Or you created that was a yeah that was a that was a couple years later. Yeah. Um, what happened was, and I'll, I'll kind of I think that I know uh, what kind of questions you want me to lead into. So yeah, I'll kind of I'll dive that direction. Yeah, um, I was in my uh, sophomore year of college, and I was partying a lot. Not the normal parties, but I was going to the music festivals. I had a girlfriend who I had no idea at the time was using heroin and fucking cheating on me. How, how long were you with her? About two years. About two and years. It was the last, the latter year of okay. that where she started, she, she picked up a bad habit. Um, and so you weren't conscious of with us or I had of this? no idea. Right. And it was only after that my friends even thought that I was doing heroin. Right. And I would never touch that. Um, then was it when you found out that you ended it or was it that? It, well, here's the thing. When you find out someone is cheating on you, you want to leave them. Yeah. When you find out someone has a horrible heroin addiction, right. you don't necessarily want to jump ship right away right. because you love them and you want to make sure that you yeah. can take care of them and, and ease them out of that. Yeah. And I tried and I failed miserably. Um, and, you know, again, learning experiences, right? But I identified so much with her pain and I tried so hard to pull her out of it that it was probably one of the first times that was that I said in my life like how many years am I supposed to try and heal you before I say enough is enough you've you've let me down enough but it, but at the same time like I wasn't using serious drugs but I didn't stop to say what habits in my life are maybe a catalyst to her behavior or what hab- wow. habits in my life are, I thought, oh, I'm not doing heroin, so I'm the fucking angel. Mm. Not true. I was wow. I was engaging with the wrong type of people. Right. I was 
selling weed. I was doing things that I should not do. Right. And I never stopped to say, okay, maybe I need to look at myself. I was young, you know, and at this point in time, I'm uh, maybe 20, 21. So I was still fairly young and still like getting my adult shoes on. And I never like stopped to say, okay, check yourself until my friend Danny, my cousin Danny passed away. And that was when my body shut down on me. That was when I had no choice but to look at myself. Right. Uh, I remember the day exactly. I, it was like another weekend that I woke up and there was blunt wrappers everywhere. There's empty half gallons on the counter. Uh, Mom, please just don't wash this shit. Wow. <laughs> and like I, uh, I woke up and that was normal to me. I didn't like – I thought that like, okay, I have a spiritual side. I journal. Like these – I'm a healthy guy, right? I run two miles a day. Like it doesn't work like that. And I got a call. Um, and Danny, I'll give you a little bit of foreground Please. on him. He was my hero. Still is. He had dreads down to his, his middle of his back. He was raised in the same town, same setting as me. But he was like a fucking ninja, man. The guy knew multiple languages. He toured on the same way that I toured. He was always leaving the country at like 17, 18 years old on his own, like out, no fear, no fear. Joined the Israeli Defense Force as a lone wolf. Do you know what a lone wolf wolf is? A lone wolf is an individual that's not from Israel, but dedicates himself to go and fight in the IDF. Wow. So like, as a as an American Jew, it's like we have to we have to protect each other. So that's where my identity really came in, right? Like I told you, is like my Judaism, and I say that I'm not very a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but my Judaism is my culture. It's the mm-hmm. way we take care of the family. It's the way we ask people if they want water. These are things that like Christians, Catholic, Muslims, everybody has, right? But that this was the way my family raised me. Mm-hmm. So that was my identity. And Danny took that to the next level and dedicated himself to it and decided he was going to go to Israel and pay some homage and, and, wow. and, and give his respects back. Wow. He was within a year uh, uh, Red Boot, which is a paratrooping general, which means that he was the first one off the fucking helicopter, off the plane. Jumping into the middle of war zones, saving lives. And I saw that as a kid, like as 16, 17 years old, my eyes were like this big, you know? He hiked the Appalachian Trail barefoot. He would go camping, uh, very minimal camping with just like the smallest pack. This guy was like everything a young kid was more to want his older cousin to be, right? Yeah. He was such a family man. He was amazing, is amazing, however you want to see that. Yeah. And I remember I woke up, I was in my apartment, like all the shades were closed. I'll never forget this moment. My mom called me and and, and she said, Jacob, um, sit down. And the second my mom said that I knew, I knew, I, and I was like, mom, shut the fuck up and just tell me what's going on. I don't need to sit down. I don't need you to check on me. Just tell me what's going on. Is Josh Darius, my brother's sister, is everyone okay? And she said, uh, Danny, Danny has passed away. Danny is like 27 years old, 28 years old at this time, maybe a little bit older. Wow. My wall, my back hit the wall. I fell to the ground. What happened? What happened? What happened? 
She didn't want to tell me. But I knew... I was like, I, I just kept saying, Mom, don't fuck with me. Don't, don't sugarcoat this. Tell me what happened. Mm. And he killed himself. Nobody knows why. Nobody, nobody could have any inclination as to why. Three days before, he was on video chat with his sister doing yoga poses. Like, he was the strongest individual in all of our lives. And... Man, talk about a rock in your wave, right? Yeah. Like, I shut down. I, I couldn't handle it. And that's when my body started to eat itself alive. Literally, I had a skin autoimmune deficiency. It's called psoriasis, but it was an inver- like a strange inverse form where literally my, my body would feel like it was itching from the inside out. I, I would like literally itch all day, every day. I couldn't think, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't study, I couldn't have sex, I couldn't do anything because my body was literally burning from the inside out. And we went to doctor after doctor after doctor and couldn't figure out what it was. And they kept trying to put me on like antidepressants and I knew I, knew I wasn't happy. I knew that there was something wrong, but I also knew that I wasn't going to go through that whole Adderall shit yeah. again, right? Like I wasn't going to take something that nobody gave me an end date for. Mm-hmm. So that's when I really started to like have to create my own regimen. And that scar started to create me. That was what I call my first cornerstone. That was like the first time that Jacob decided that he wasn't going to allow other people to tell him there was something wrong with him. Right. Or that other people had the fix. Yeah. And I, uh, I really looked into my behavior mm. and I was like, well, Jacob, maybe drinking three nights out of the week, four nights out of the week isn't the best. This pain triggered you to go even harder on that side of things? Or? Well, when Danny passed away is when, like, my body shut down. Right, okay. And okay. I had no choice but right. to fix it. Okay. I had no choice. Okay. So, it was like a double, right? It's, it's mind, body, spirit. Yeah. And my spirit was broken and my body was broken. Yeah. And the only boat that I had was my mind. Mm. And what did those two what did my mind what did my spirit and my body breaking do they gave me my spirit and my body because from that wreckage i had to like you don't know how a bike works until you take the bike apart and put it back together right so when my body fell apart and when my spirit fell apart i had to put it back together myself wow and here's just little monkey jacob trying to (laughs) just glue <laughs> shit together and tape it and yeah. it was not an easy uh, easy trek right mm. but eventually you you start getting dreams with Danny you start having dreams with him and you're like okay those are unlike any dream that I've had before I can taste in them I can smell in them I can see color in them I can hear vividly in them there's another plane here mm. my body broke okay so what's going on Jacob your body's shutting down well, maybe stop staying up till 6 a.m. 
maybe don't eat drugs. Maybe don't smoke as much weed. Don't wow. smoke as much weed. <laughs> okay. Maybe got a backtrack. Maybe saliva. don't drink alcohol. Period. Mm. Period. Stop that shit. Mm. Maybe and maybe diving into a miserably poisonous relationship isn't the best idea anymore, Jacob. Check yourself now. Or else you're just going to go this way. And you're supposed to go this way. That's yeah. where the internal voice comes in, right? The one that I've had since I was a kid that's like, you're going to fucking make it. And you're going to do so much better than everyone around you. You're going to wow. thrive, right? So that's when this voice that has never turned off got a little bit louder and yeah. was like, you're supposed to do something now. So do it. Wow. And so I started doing those things. Mm. I broke up with her. Sorry. I can't make your pain mine anymore. I started eating healthy. Amazing. Sorry, I don't need a doctor to tell me that I need Zoloft or Prozac. I'm just going to eat healthy. I'm going to start to work out more. I'm going to start to wake up with the sun and not at noon. Mm. I'm going to get my homework done. Mm. I'm going to create a schedule that works for me. Mm. Right? And that's where my life took form. Mm. My body was healing. Mm. My spirit was healing. And I realized, and again, like my spirituality didn't happen until Danny died, right? My spirituality was non it was there, I knew it, but it was very much in Judaism. But this is where I started to craft my own idea of how the universe and energy works. Mm. And from there is where I started to really blossom into who I am right now. That was the defining moment. That was the turning point for of you, right? who, Of when I started to create myself. Wow. That was when life started to happen with me, not Amazing. to me, yeah. not for me, not at me, but with me. I merged with life at that point. Yeah. And from there is when I, you know, graduate or I didn't graduate. I went to IU. Mm. Um, I reunited with my best friend Spencer Michelow, mm. who again, like the reason Spencer and I are friends mm. is because he was virtually one of four other Jewish kids in my, right. in my junior Back high. Then. Wow. And so we were never like we never like hung out. Right? But every time there was a fight, Spencer was behind me. Or every time Spencer was in a fight, I was behind him. So naturally, we decided to move in with each other in college. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's natural. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah. so that's where uh, we got a house together, and that's where I started to just, like, come into my own. And with Spencer, I created Good Vibe Network. Mm. And that just came from Spencer and I smoking a lot of weed, sitting in the basement, talking about the power of positivity, right? We are, I was a psych major, just because there was no other major that I could get into. Okay. But that, again, the universe showed me what I needed, because psychology, yeah. I would not take that back for anything. Right. I focused on microexpressions cool. and human-to-human -human interaction, right? So I learned how to communicate with people. Amazing. And from that, I used my natural intu intuition of empathy to like realize, Especially with my dad and, and other people in my life that have very low ability to be resilient and to heal themselves and to make themselves feel better. I realized that how else – what else could be the outcome if all day, every day you're just bombarded with negativity. Right. You're bombarded with bills. Yeah. You're bombarded with issues. Mm. You're bombarded with individuals who are less than – less than respectable right mm. people treat people like shit on a very mass scale those things breed and wire your brain 
to be miserable. Yeah. When you turn on the TV and you hear about the last shooting, when you turn on the TV and you just see like the stock market, it's about money, it's about glamour, it's making you feel bad. And these are all things everybody knows, but like, okay, how do we rationally change this? And there was an individual who, it was actually this extremely serendipitous moment where Spencer and I were sitting there and we were talking about, okay, what do we do to fix this? Like, how do we make our, the people around us lives better? And so we found this TED Talks about the power of positivity and, and micro positivity, right? We're watching this TED Talks and we're like taking notes and like thinking about how we're gonna start our own business and we're getting chills. Like, we're like, wow, we're gonna fucking do something together, right? Like, we're gonna change something. Yeah. And then we realize that the talk, the TED Talk, took place 0.3 miles away from where we were sitting at that point. It happened maybe four years before. Wow. And Spencer and I were just like, what the heck? And I shit you not, Kieran, like five minutes after that, lightning, and Spencer will attest to this, struck our house. Literally, it was like forces <laughs> combined. Spencer and I were like making all these connections. We were like, we're gonna start something called Good Vibe Network. And if you've ever started a business, you understand yeah. when you search the URL and it's open, Yeah. You're like, okay, <laughs> that's a sign, right? Yeah. So we were like Good Vibe Network. The Facebook was open, the Instagram was open, and that's where we started the business. Amazing. And that was my first business. That cool. was where we decided that we were gonna do something that helped the people around us. Yeah. And so that's where I took my ability to bring light into other people's lives mm. and bring cheeriness into other people's lives, and I meshed it with business mm. and entrepreneurial spirit. My dad started his own business. Everyone I know, my uncles started their own business. That's, amazing. That's just, I come from a family of doers and yeah. entrepreneurs. So it was a natural, but but again, th there's a very strong key here, right? Mm. Good Vibe Network didn't turn a dollar of profit. It was an, it was an NPO. We never wanted to make a single penny from it. We just wanted to bring light into other people's lives. It's beautiful. And so that was kind of my first encounter with, I guess, from the death of Danny, to learning my body, to learning my spirit, to taking the things that I've learned and doing my best to share them with the people around me. Right. Because what is your experience if you can't share it with those around you? Right. Contribution, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and from that point, from that moment of actually going about that business, where did that lead you? Where did that lead you? Did you continue with the business? Did you move on to another one? Um, I never let go of music festivals. Right. Um, and then I graduated and like you do when you graduate. you're going to make money as well. Yeah, so you go profit. into finance. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that naturally. Was, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I uh, got a shitty job selling life and health insurance. Sounds and, amazing. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was, I remember I was like wearing a suit every day and they gave me a nice desk and mm. I was making decent money, shit money, but decent money. And... I just had this dream where this guy, you know, one of the guys in my office was like, I'm fucking, I'm 25 years old and I just bought my first boat. Uh, and I'm just like, I, I want a boat it. too. Like, <laughs> you know, so, so like, again, like from the glamour side of it, I, I'm like starting and, and at that point I'm dating this other girl, Emma, who's such a sweet girl mm -hmm. and, and holds such a uh, strong space in my mm -hmm. heart, but I wasn't in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I started to gain weight and I started to fall back into this like, I guess that like year after college was the first time where I was like, oh shit, 
maybe you're not all that, Jacob. Okay. And that's where doubt like really started to come in, right? And and make me feel like you're not all that. Like it's not just gonna happen for you or to you. I was wrong. It did happen to me. And I I'm blessed. But I thought that Danny was the first hurdle. It's far from it. And I I was working. Um I was kind of back and forth with a little bit of confusion and like going on. You know what Angel List is? No. Uh, Angel List Investors. No. Angel List is 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 a, yeah, but Angel List is uh, is like a startup, a monster.com. It's like where you go and you get a job in San Francisco at a startup. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I was like, I want to do that. Cool. Right. But who the fuck is gonna hire me? As a psych major in finance that wanted to do marketing. <laughs> Not the my triple aunt. threat. Yeah, that, no, nobody. I, I had a I had a fucking great. Who wanted a boat? Yeah, exactly. I had a great average, and the boat was kind of blase blah at this point. It's like, all right, Jacob, you need to feed yourself. So, I kind of went through my waves in that, and I was bouncing back and forth between that job. I had a lot of free time during that job, so I would go to LA, look for jobs, come home miserable. Everyone telling you. You're not worth it. Mm. Going and I knew my value. I knew my value, but I just kept getting bombarded with no's. Mm. I kept getting told, "You're not worth it." And mm. at a certain point, that gets to you. Yeah, of course. Right? Like especially in sales, like you're selling yourself. Mm. So, why does nobody want me? Mm. I remember I even flew to San Francisco for an interview, wow. and I was so stoked for this interview. I was like, "This is it! Like this is the the job that I want." And the job was about how if like the job was literally an infrastructure for employee retainment. So it was this mo- model that a lady in San Francisco had created that helped employees that don't get hired follow a dialogue to get the job after they don't get hired and take certain training courses that increase employer retention over a long period of time. She fucking didn't even take my – she had me fly to San Francisco and didn't even have my interview. She was like, sorry, I'm busy. We can do a call. What? This is a girl that like built her business off of the proper interview process. So that was like a major cut on me. Wow. And so I went back uh, to Indy and I, you know, my dad owns a jewelry store. So mm. I have a couple of my friends that were working there and um, I was still working at the finance job, but I had an office at the jewelry store too. So I would spend a couple days a week working there. And my good friend Emily, my, my soul, she was just in Colorado. And she moved back and she had some hard things happen to her there. Things that a woman should never have to go through. And so she came back and she was very low. And she's, she's like, Jacob, like, I don't want to get a job here or there. Can I just work at the jewelry store for a little bit? And I was like, absolutely, love. Come on in. Like, let's do this. I love being able to work near my friends. And, and anybody that knows business is like... It's not always the best mix. Um, and um, she she worked there for a good month uh, and was having like a really hard time getting her feet. And so was I. I, I, I was in a miserable, miserable, miserable place. Like I, I did not like my job. I was gaining weight. I was with a woman I should, knew I shouldn't be with. So my ability to like see her hurt was at a low. 
I was just being I was self-absorbed wow who the fuck are you you stunning girl she was beautiful who the fuck are you with a rich family and everything in the world and an education coming here and bitching all day I got my own problems you deal with your shit that's my best friend and I was so caught up in my own shit that I could not see her hurt and there was a day where she was just taking an advantage of the system at the jewelry store. She knew that I wasn't going to fire her, and she was having a hard day. She was in the bathroom every 20 minutes, and Jacob never stopped to say, maybe she's hurting more than you. Instead, Jacob said, get your shit together, Emily. I don't want you here if you can't step it up. And uh, I was really hard on her that day. I was really hard on her that day. And she, um, after work that day, I, I like, I pulled her aside and I was like, Em, I love you. I'm sorry. Cause I can be filled with fire, but I'm uh, very good at like knowing when I've gone too far. And I, I was like, Em, why don't you, you know, why don't you come chill with me for a little bit? We smoked a little bit of weed and I was like, hey, the strangest shit happened that day too. Like, that, that day, we were smoking out of a pipe, and the pipe fell, and it broke. And she cut her finger on it. And so, there's a little bit of her blood in my car. And we wrapped it up, and I gave her a big hug. And I was like, I love you, like, I miss you, you know? Let's, let's hang out. Like, I, I've only seen you at the jewelry store for the past month. Like, what is this? Like, we're back in Indiana together. We haven't hung out in so long. I love, like, and she was like, Jacob, thank you so much. Let's do it. Let's hang out. We set a date for Friday. It was like, I think it was Tuesday. And uh, I go home. I, I go to work the next day. Emily's a no-call, no-show. Again, the first thing that goes on in my head is, I can't believe she fucked me like that again. My buddy Chase is working, and he goes, um, Jacob, I'm, I'm reading the newspaper, and it looks like there was an accident with a girl named Emily. They don't have a last name. And I was like, there's no way it's her. There's no way it was her. There's no information about what happened, or they just, white Subaru? Emily Myers. Um... And she pulled, she, she took her own life. She took her own life, literally, I was the last person who had a deep conversation with her. I was the last person who was there. And I'm sitting in my fucking car, and I see her blood there from the day before, from her cutting her finger. It's like her blood was on me. I fucking flossed to her mom's house, begging the entire way that that's just not true. Praying. And when I opened that fucking door and I saw the hurt in her mom's eyes, I knew that I was in it for the fucking long run. Like that, okay, you have your shit, but you want some real fire in your life? Here you go. Deal with it. And that was... That was where at Ashes number two took place. That was 
the moment where I literally, I can't say that I've ever been lower. I can't say that I've ever seen more hurt in other people's lives. Because, like, when Danny took his life, like, I saw my family break apart, but I was still young. Like, this is, like, Emily was in her prime. Like, everything was there. Everything was perfect. Perfect. You think you're no, you know what someone is going through. You think you, you think you know. You never fucking know. You always meet people with grace. You always meet people with compassion. The angry cash driver, cash register guy, the fucking shitty tick cab driver, the dick on the street, you always meet people with love and grace. Because if you don't, you don't know what they're gonna fucking take home with them. Yeah. But I learned. I learned with her. Me and her mom became best friends. It brought so many of my close friends back together. It shook us to the core. All of us. And she gave me life. I, I want to give you another hug. <laughs> I gave it... it Guys, um, he's told me the story before, and I love you. I love you too, bro. Thank you, brother. You too, man. And um, here we are. Like for those watching, maybe you can see, maybe you can't. But we're both here, tearing up like crazy, like babies. And but that's the beautiful thing about human experience. We're able to share it and learn from it. And that's exactly what you did. And you telling that insane story that brings so much pain to the surface is blessing me is blessing so many people that are hearing it and it's what the lesson that you took from that is a lesson that the whole world needs to hear you're right it's the lesson of no matter how oh man my nose is so runny uh, no matter how i wish i bought tissues i, I thought i was oh no i won't cry oh I'll, I'll be mad nah um no matter how much pain or how much um or how angry someone is or how frustrated someone is or how much pain uh, genuine uh, anger or um, pissed off energy they're directing towards you it's not you it's something that's coming from within them if something that if they're genuinely in pain if they've got some sort of anger towards themselves some sort of frustration towards themselves and you trigger that by something you said or did that's not actually your fault but it's something that's triggered them and therefore they're going to unleash that on top of you or toward you Right, and literally what you just said is like you genuinely never know. They're, they're going to cover their their um, their depression, their sadness, their um, their insecurities with anger, with ego, with uh, you know, with frustration, with this piece of energy. That's their way of covering it up. That's their way of uh, almost um, putting it to the side or pushing it to the side or um, or building on top of it or talking them their way, own way out of it. For example, I know insecurities, if we're insecure about something, we develop an ego over it to talk ourselves out of it, for example. But it's just a way that we see the upward side of things and don't really look deep. And in that space, bro, I mean, I'm so guilty of that too. I think we all are. And it's not something that we can beat ourselves up for, but at the same time, at some stage, we learn that this is the truth and if we don't take that lesson it's like um you know at the end of the day if you um if you touch the hot pan you're not going to touch the hot pan again right but we need to learn that lesson sometimes the lesson is genuinely painful like touching the hot pan yeah. and i feel like i'm the same bro because 
um, I think I've, I did tell you my story and this is actually how we started talking about it was my story was um, one of my closest friends at the time he took his own life as well because of anxiety and I could have been there for him but I wasn't because we'd been talking about catching up for so long up until that point and I had been too busy um, and I took that on I just took that as a way that he was okay um, you know, we haven't been, he hasn't been really trying to hang out with me. Um, just like I haven't been really trying to hang out with him. Maybe he's just busy. You know, I know things are going on. I know he's been like, you know, um, struggling a little bit, but he, I know he's going to be okay. He always is. But no, that really wasn't it. Um, and that for me was my lesson. And the fact that you're, I know that to the degree you were so close to Emily, um, was so, because you'd known her for so much longer and, the, and then the depth that you would have felt that. Um, and the fact you were so close with the family, um, I'm just so overwhelmed with respect for you for being able to be in the space as you are now to come out and not respect just share that. Mom. But respect her mom. Her, oh, mom is, her mom brought so much truth and like if you can walk out of that situation as a mother God. and like and be the rock that she was, like her mom has gone on to save lives. Her mom has started a fund and has gone on to, to bring that darkness and that light. Like Emily, yeah. we, we, I talked to her mom about this. It's like, at what point do you realize that there was just so much light in somebody that it, the quickest way for her light to touch as many people as possible was taken care of through her mom. Her mom literally took that pain and did not let it stop her for a second and shared that light, the light of Emily through everybody. Cause like Emily was not like, Emily was not a depressed person. Emily was going through depression. Emily yeah. was on I'm, antidepressants yeah. and Emily stopped taking those without a regimen. Mm. Pharmaceuticals fucked her up. The, 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 the lack of education on how to deal with your emotions mm. is that we're just blanketing them with Adderall, with Zoloft, mm. with Prozac, with SSRI inhibitors, like mm. all this shit. We never know how to fucking deal with it. And on top of that, we have a generation who's just sedating themselves with weed. Mm. I'm not saying don't smoke mm. or I'm not saying do smoke. Mm. I'm just saying that there's a level to everything and marijuana is medicine, yeah. just like everything else. Yeah. So if you think that just smoking at the end of the night isn't, is prevent you're you're cutting off your natural ability to deal with emotion. Yeah. You have to deal with emotions yeah. accordingly. Absolutely. And if you don't, then you're gonna have a really hard time when it all comes crashing down on you. Yeah. And that's what happened to Emily. She made a split second decision that is a permanent one. But I feel like it's not fair to talk about Emily without going into what she did for me and how that situation changed my life. Because like I mentioned, and like I'm sure you're aware, our scars are what create us. And I fucking went dark after that. I, I quit my job. I was absolutely miserable. And I decided that I needed to get up. I needed to get moving. So, I, uh, I, there's like a music festival called Summer Camp Music Festival, and, and I was, it was about a month or two after she had passed away, and I didn't have any money, and God knows that there was no way for me to make enough money for a full weekend of music, and I just knew that I had to go. All my friends were going, everybody that knew Emily was going, it was just like, I needed to get the fuck out of bed. Mm. 
And um, so I sent the music festival um, a letter saying, you know, I still had my IU email address. And I said, hi, my name is Jake Badoot. I'm wanting to do a survey on facial expressions. Um, would you mind if I get access to the music festival? Mm-hmm. No response. I was like, okay, yeah, that was a good shot, Jacob. Good for you. <laughs> um, on my birthday, May 7th, I, get, I open my eyes. I, I check my email. Jacob, you've been approved for access to Summer Camp Music Festival. And not only that, they gave me two passes, and they gave me a full list of every artist on that roster. Their managers' names, phone numbers, and email addresses. And I was like a kid in fucking Candyland. I didn't have a media outlet. I didn't have anywhere to... I didn't have an Instagram. I I wasn't doing anything with it. I was just like, I'm going to go fucking party. And party I did. I ran 40 fucking interviews that weekend. I took some of the most amazing photos I've ever taken in my life. I bought a camera for that weekend. I literally got a credit card and got a camera for that weekend. Because I was like, I'm going to do this the right way. Amazing. So I went and, uh, man, was I in my element. Like I interviewed Xavier Rudd. I interviewed Humphreys McGee. I interviewed Foster Domus. I interviewed Brodinski. I interviewed some of the most, like some of the most prolific and amazing DJs and musicians that I've ever listened to. And like, I got the opportunity to meet them. So I wasn't gonna take that for granted. And so after that, I went and I, uh, I posted them on, uh, I made a page called Graffiti Seed because I had a bunch of friends at the time who were doing art, painting. And I, I liked, to, I wanted to dabble with web design a little bit. So I, um, I put them on the page, I, I started to upload them, and next thing you know, we had 5,000 followers, 10,000 followers, 15,000 followers, and uh, I was like, okay, this is something. And at the time, I was spending a lot of time with my business partner and best friend, Joe, and I, I wasn't doing anything with this. There was no business model behind it, but um, I'd spend a lot of time with Joe. I would go to his house, and... Um, Eventually, I got called by a music festival in Northern California called Northern Nights Music Festival. And they, for some reason, found my contact information. They saw that we had like 30, 40,000 followers at the time. They were like, hey, would you guys like to come cover our music festival? And it was just me. And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I told Joe um, about it. And Joe was working at a bank at the time. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. so we went to uh, we went to the festival together, and it was like Titans United, man. We we ran a bunch of interviews. We like really came into our own element at that point, and like realized that this was a match made in heaven. So Joe and I, and I'm gonna kind of wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah. Joe and I, like through all of this, and through the pain, the pleasure, the hurt, the love, all of it. Joe and I started this business with one another. And it was all because of Emily. It was all because of, it was because of everything, right? It was because of my mom, my dad, and I moved to LA, Joe quit his job. (laughs) We're wrapping it up, so I'm kind of giving you that. Yeah, yeah, you're good. But but because of the pain and the hurt in my life, I was able to become the most confident and free-spirited individual and the biggest role model to myself. And it's because of the pain and my hurt in life that I'm sitting here with you in Bali. 
It's because of the pain and hurt in my life that I'm able to help other individuals. It's because of the pain and hurt in my life that I'm able to work with my best friend every single day. It's because of that pain that I'm able to travel. It's because I didn't let that pain eat me alive. It's because I took that hurt and I use it to rebuild myself. And I see that you've done the same thing. And I'm honored to be sitting across from somebody who can have that same energy and that same vibration, right? I'm honored to, brother. We have to. We have to. And anybody that's listening, it's like, mm. you can be hurting. You can be in a dark place. Take a couple deep breaths. Bring yourself back into yourself. Understand that all of it is temporary. The good, the bad, the pleasure, the hurt. It's all a wave. It's all energy. It will flow through you as long as you don't hold on to it. Let this life wash over you and flow with it and it will take care of you. That's it. Thank you, brother. I just want to say thank you so much. And um, I do have one more question really quickly sure. and we should really all speed through this, but one question. Sure. What heals you? Aside from my mom's food. <laughs> Dude, that could be your, that could be what heals you. Um, I'd say me. I that's my favorite answer yet. That is my favorite answer yet, too. That is amazing. You gotta be you gotta be your own rock, man. If you don't love yourself and you're not your own truth, then Dude, I love you. I love you too here. Thank you, brother. Um where the, where can they find you? Um you can find me on Graffiti Seed. Yeah. G-R-A-F-F-I-T-I. Mm. Um, we're a media collective. If any of you are musicians, artists, yoga instructors, mm. send us an email or message us on the gram. Mm. Um, I'm sure Karen will put uh, a oh. link somewhere. But our only goal is to help artists, musicians, yoga instructors, painters, photographers, anybody in the realm of art, body, and sound find their passion and live their passion without having to spend a fucking dollar. So our goal is to help you live your passion for a lifestyle. So thank you. I really appreciate your time, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thank you, man. Of course. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Subscribe to the Pocket Coach podcast and uh, stay tuned for more. Cheers. Cheers.